Bowie State should not be mentioned with FCS HBCUs when talking about who's the best HBCU in football. Three HBCU players were invited to the G League Elite Camp, and Alabama A&M might have recruited their quarterback-running back tandem for the future. Oh, yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, having you covered with more odds, props, and lines than ever before online, where the game starts. And Bowie State should not, I repeat, should not be mentioned with FCS HBCU teams if we're talking about who is the best HBCU in football. Now, disclaimer, this is not intended, I can't tell you how to take it, but this is not intended to be disrespectful or to ignore what Bowie State has accomplished or the talent that they have at their school. I really do not mean to disrespect them. This is all about talent, or excuse me, this is all about competition level. That's what this is all about for me. And I understand that there is a good amount of people out there listening who will not agree with me. And I'm talking about HBCU podcasters, HBCU journalists. I understand that there are going to be a good amount who do not agree with this sentiment. However, I'm extending an open invitation to anybody who wants to come on here? We ain't trying to debate. I'm not going to make it into a debate show. I'm right now about to give my side of why I think that you should not. And if you feel like you should include Bowie State in the top HBCUs, I'm inviting you to come on. I'll, I'll ask some questions to get the answers from you. I'm not going to fight you about it. I'm just going to let you get your, your, your take off, your side of it off. So that's my open invitation. And like I said, this is all about competition level. And it came from the fact that Bowie State said that they were the the black national champions. I think I made a a topic about that. I did right after. South Carolina State is the black national champion. That's why we had a celebration bowl. All right. But they were basically saying they are the best in football. I, I just can't agree with it. And then I seen Jay Walker, who I respect. And he had a top five list that I think was a pretty good list, aside from the fact that Bowie State was at number three. I let it go. I just, whatever. You know, it didn't frustrate me, but I'm like, I don't agree with that. And then now it's just like, you know what? I want to invite conversation. So if anybody who does feel that way, they can come and they can talk about it, whether that's in the comments, whether that's coming on here, whether that's DMing me, tweeting me, however you want to express yourself. I wanted to create conversation, so that's why I'm doing this. And I just have to say it. The reason I don't – actually, first, let me give some props to them. Let me start with some props. If we're talking about most dominant team, oh, Bowie State got it. They're up there. You could say they're number one. You really could because the way that they dominated the CIAA and has dominated the CIAA for the last couple of years is truly remarkable. 
once you talk about dominant teams, you can start meshing in and everybody can be included from anywhere because now it's relative. Or you dominated this. See, if I'm all the way on the right and you all the way on the left and I'm dominating everybody on the right and you dominate everybody, dominating everybody on the left, now we can have a conversation no matter who we're going against. But the thing that gets, if you can acknowledge they are, the talent level that's there, you know, you know, they just had Jonathan Ross go to an FBS school, so they have talent, and he's not the only one. Why, Darian, can you not say that they're one of the best if you can acknowledge that they are one of the most dominant? And that's because there is supposed to be a gap between D2 to FCS. See, I'm from Texas, right? And in Texas, we have the five. It's everywhere, or I'm assuming it's everywhere. I know it's in Texas and Louisiana. I felt like I was a uh, George Bush on, on J. Cole's song. You know, let's say in in Tennessee. Um, anywho, but in Texas, you have the 5A, 6A, and people already make distinctions between those schools, and that's just based off the of size of your, your, your school, how many kids you have. Now, when you're looking at Bowie State, there's supposed to be a gap as a team between Division II teams and FCS teams. I understand that there is talent on the D2 level. I will not disrespect that. Joshua Williams was the first HBCU player drafted this year, and he came from a D2 school in Fayetteville State. I will not disrespect that. However, on team-by-team basis, it's supposed to be better teams on the FCS, and they're not facing them. They just aren't. And the fact of me having to question how would they perform, put them in a scenario, play a Jackson State. Of, of, of Florida A&M, A&M, all in a five-week span. With that war of attrition takes such a toll on them because Bowie State is not looking the same if we place them into one of these FCS conferences. I'm talking about the MEAC or the, or the SWAC. They are not looking the same because that war of attrition is different. The rigor in, in the competition and the schedule is different. Those things are different. And we can all agree that they are the best HBCU uh, school on the D2 level. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I can say that. And then I can say that these FCS schools, these are separate conversations. That's the part that needs to get hammered home. But there's there are some ways where I could decide to make it one conversation. And I think that Winston-Salem State from about a decade ago, they did it. When they were ascending with uh, Coach Maynard, you're looking at a team that beat North Carolina Central, beat North Carolina A&T upon their ascension to being one of the best D2 schools and making it to a D2 championship. See, they played that team. They played the FCS uh, HBCU. Bowie State isn't doing that. They aren't. They did it once in the last couple of years. One time, and that was this year, and they lost that game to Delaware State. Now, I understand that one game does not tell the story of your, of your, of your season, and I'm not trying to say that Bowie State will come in and go winless but that's the only game in the last couple of years when they've really been on top that they played against a MEAC or SWAC opponent. One game may not be the end-all, be-all, but one game definitely has an impact. There's a reason that when we're making these rankings of the best teams, South Carolina State is on top. Jackson State was the best HBCU all year. They lost in the last game. That's not number one. Florida A&M will better than Jackson State. Whatever, they will say that. But Jackson State beat them, so they're not on top of them. It doesn't matter that it's just one game. When your sample size against SWAC and MEAC teams is as small as Bowie State's was over the last three years, and you only have one game, what else am I supposed to go by? And how am I supposed to give such confidence?
that they will come in and do X, Y, and Z or, or be as dominant as they were in the CIAA if you came to the MEAC when you didn't even beat the team that, that they didn't win the division. Delaware State did not win the conference, and you lost to them. It's not like you lost to the conference champion. I'm not saying Delaware is Delaware State's a, a scrub or anything, but you didn't beat them. So how am I supposed to sit there with absolute confidence and say that this Division Two team, if I raise them up to an FCS Division One level, they would be essentially the second best or in either conference? Because it went South Carolina State, Jackson State, Bowie State. How am I supposed to do that? I personally can't, and that's where the problem is. Maybe if you scheduled more. Because they only played once. So maybe if you scheduled more and defeated more FCS HBCU squads, I would have the confidence to say, yeah, I think Bowie State could really compete. But right now, I do not know. And the fact that I don't know, the lack of assurance, it makes it extremely difficult. And honestly, it's the reason I will not do it. I will not put Bowie State there. They are the best HBCU team on the D2 level, though. And they have that. Separate the conversations. It's not a disrespect. I just cannot make, I just can't come to a conclusion because I don't have enough evidence and support to back me up. Once again, the invitation is out there. Anybody who feels like Bowie State should be mentioned, come on, we can talk about it. Those who don't, thank you for being on my side, I guess. You know, it's just that simple. But all in all, to summarize it, Bowie State is phenomenal. I respect everything that Bowie State has done. But until they start playing more SWAC and MEAC teams, because they only got a couple opportunities, but are playing more SWAC and MEAC teams, until they start defeating more SWAC and MEAC teams, I find it hard to rank them or find where to rank them amongst SWAC and MEAC teams. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And something else that is that simple is HBCU players have been invited to the G League Elite Camp, and that is basically an invitation to trying to work your way into the NBA Combine. And I believe Kyle Foster has the easiest or the, the easiest path or the most sure thing path to being an NBA player, as opposed to the two other guys who have been invited with him. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online because I still have my favorite bet. I got to go put some money down. I'm not going to keep talking about it. I'm not going to keep giving betting advice, even though I have not been wrong. When I told you to bet, for, bet on the Pels, they won. I got to go put some money down. Saints fans, y'all see it on me, right? Eight and a half wins is all they got us at. We won at nine. Ross, locked on Saints, go listen to them. We're winning nine, okay? I'm telling you that right now. Go put your, mo go put your money down, win you something. If you're not a Saints fan, that's unfortunate for you. But I understand that there are people who are not Saints fans that exist. I'm sorry again. You can bet on, on your team. You're over under. You can bet on the NBA playoffs. You can bet on MLB. You can even bet on your favorite Vegas casino games. It really does not matter. They have everything. The versatility is one of the reasons that I think they are the best place for all of your sports wagering. They are the fastest and easiest. What a wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts.
As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day, it is much appreciated. Now, make sure that you're checking out Locked on NBA Big Boards, hosted by Raphael Barlow, host of the, NF, or the NBA Draft Junkies, and, ho- and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter. He is going to be joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving you breakdowns and insight on the NBA Draft, Mock Drafts, and check out the name big boards of course get it wherever you have access to your podcast now i want to tell you about three hbcu players who have been invited to the nba g league elite camp that is kyle foster out of howard bryson gresham out of texas southern the illustrious the best the greatest and then also mj randolph out of florida a&m Let's first define what this is. It's very similar to the XFL tryout that we were talking about um, on yesterday's podcast. And that is, it's a tryout for a tryout, kind of. You know, and the XFL is a trial for the draft. This one has a much quicker turnaround. In this, in this two-day camp that's going to be happening next week, if you perform well enough, then they will invite you to the NBA Combine, which is the following day. So right after the camp is done, the next day is the combine, and it's only going to be people that you select. So like I said, you have three players from HBCUs, and one thing that I thought was really interesting is that two out of the three are homegrown HBCU talents, meaning they didn't go anywhere else. They went high school to HBCUs. And the reason that's noticeable, and that's Kyle Foster and MJ Randolph. See, Randolph went from Pensacola, went over to Tallahassee right away. And then you see um, Foster, he went straight to Howard and he was there for five years as a graduate student. So the reason this is so important and such something to point out and notable is because the HBCUs, specifically HBCU basketball, really relies heavily on a transfer portal. You go and look at most of these people, there's going to be a lot of guys who started other colleges. Heck, I'm looking at Texas Southern. Texas Southern. I don't think they have any players on a team, at least not any that start or play that came to Texas Southern from high school. I really want to say every single player on that team, on the basketball team, came from a different college and was heavy in the transfer portal. That's just an example of how much the transfer portal has impacted or is impactful in HBCU basketball. And speaking of Texas Southern, Bryson Gresham is the one guy on there that is not homegrown. He bounced around a little bit, went from UMass to University of Houston, and then he landed at Texas Southern. And where you're in is all that matters. So, you know, we we rooting for him. We, we, we definitely hoping that he goes out there and put out a good showing. And I may be a little bit biased, just a little tiny, tiniest bit biased by the fact that he went to Texas Southern. Two guys that I thought might have made this list or might have gotten an invitation was Joe Bryant Sr. and then also Chris Bankston, both from Norfolk. They led Norfolk to the championship in the MEAC this year and then also an NCAA tournament berth. And Chris Bankston was somebody who got a lot of love at the beginning of the season. Joe Bryant was somebody who was a Lou Henson All-American this year and a finalist for the Lou Henson Award. I thought he was going to make it, but he didn't. And instead of focusing on those two that did not make the cut, let's give the shine and respect to those who did. And the first two players are going to be HBCU All-Star Game performers, and that is Bryson Gresham, Kyle Foster. With Kyle Foster, is a down shooter. Point blank, period. That is what he does. It's the reason that he was able to join the 1,000-point club at Howard. Not only is that what he does, though, 
he's one of the best at what he does. You know, so a lot of people, okay, that's that's what you do. You shoot threes, shoot threes, but not everybody can be one of the best three-point shooters in the country. And that's exactly what he was, shooting 46%. This guy was absolutely knocked down. And that's the reason that I believe he has the brightest future in the NBA. Because the way the NBA is played now, you can't have too many guys who excel at shooting a three. You can't. That is what he – you ain't really even got to do too much. You can shoot the three, somebody's going to take a chance on you. And you can be valuable to somebody. They just have to find the right situation. But as far as the other people, yeah, you like people who are in the paint, and that's really good. I think Gresham does a really good job at that. You like people who can drive in offensive players. We, we love that. But the easiest path is as a three-point shooter, in my opinion, because you never get too many of those guys. You just simply won't. Now, I want to talk about Bryson Gresham because in, in, in um, celebration, excuse me, of him making this this camp, Texas Southern decided to post his 10 top plays on the season. And the first thing that jumped out to me is the fact that he was making these plays at moments. And I've said this about NFL draft prospects, like when I said Marquise Bell, and he had 10-plus tackles in all the big games during the season. Speaking of Marquise Bell, man, it's been three months since I had a third without Gerald Huggins. This feels weird. <laughs> this feels really weird to be putting out a show on Thursday and not sitting around asking Coach Huggins about, hey, this prospect and that prospect. But anyway, that idea of playing big or making plays in big-time moments extends to basically every sport. And that's exactly what Gresham did. With Gresham, he had two game or two plays against Alcorn in the SWAC championship game. Now, you're beating, all, you're beating up on Alcorn in the SWAC championship game. That's a big-time moment. It's the biggest game of the tournament. And up to that point, it's the biggest game of the season. Then you're playing in the NCAA playing game. That's the biggest game of the season. You have Prairie View. That's the and those are clutch free throws, right? To win the game. He put down the game-winning free throws in that game. That's the biggest game of the regular season for all Texas Southern sports. Then you're also gonna have games against Florida, the biggest win. The, understand all corns, the victory over all corn puts you into the NCAA tournament or the play-in and the playing game puts you into the tournament. But beating Florida was the biggest win of the season. Sorry, Brandon. Congratulations on your new gig, but I'm sorry to add to bring that up right now. Um, that's the biggest win of the season for Texas Southern. It was it was historic. And then you also had a big play against Washington, which is a which is a power five school. It's clear he's showing up in big time moments, but they showed his ability to run the floor and transition and and paint work. And he does that well. But the neighborhood love him because he's always throwing block parties. This is one of the best block artists that you're going to see in the SWAT. So that's really what he made his name as, in my opinion. Even in limited minutes, he would come in and he would be a, an enforcer in the paint defensively. Then finally, you get to my guy, MJ Randolph, who has been my favorite to win SWAT player of the year since the beginning of the season. He was also a Lou Henson All-American, just like Joe Bryant was. This guy was absolutely phenomenal this year. And when you look at him, he's not somebody who operates behind the arc like Kyle Foster. That's just not what he does. That's not what he prefers to do. That's not what he tries to do. But what he does do very well is he's extremely adept at driving. And obviously, you know, people know when you're driving, you're trying to get to the hole. But when he doesn't get to the hole, sometimes he, as any good scorer would do, he'll put the brakes on and he'll pull up for a jumper. That's effective. When he gets to the hole, he's a pretty good finisher. And sometimes he has to pick up his dribble, but he has good enough footwork to be able to get past and maneuver to have the best sight at the hoop. 
this guy is a phenomenal player, somebody that I really thought had a, had a remarkable se senior season. Surprised that he didn't make the HBCU All-Star game, but he did make this G League invite. And I'm sure that if he had to choose between getting one or the other, he got the one that he would want to have. And going forward, I'm going to be talking about Alabama A&M getting a one-two punch at quarterback and running back that they might want to have. This is, this is something that could pay dividends in the future. I'm not talking about 2022. I'm talking about 2023 and beyond. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, Alabama A&M just recruited a one-two punch that could pay dividends for the foreseeable future. And I'm going to start off with the most important position on the field because it's only right to when you're talking about a one-two punch, a quarterback and running back. Let's start off with the quarterback. I'm talking about Ashley Tucker Jr. out of California. He's a dual threat run, a dual threat quarterback, excuse me. And being a dual threat quarterback, you already know what that means. He obviously can run the ball. It's clear what he can do. If you're a dual threat guy, you're obviously going to have athleticism as a big part of your game. If that was enough of a tell, let's look at Syracuse and offer from. They didn't want him to play quarterback. That's how much of an athlete that he is. He wasn't going for that, though. He said, I want to play quarterback. That, that's what I'm here for. I'm coming to college to play quarterback. So now he's at Alabama A&M. But that just speaks to what type of athlete he is. And let's call back to our interview with Mo Carter from earlier in the season or earlier in the week, excuse me. He talked about every quarterback on the roster right now. This is before this news happened. But every quarterback on the roster can move. No shot at a quill glass, but everybody can move a good amount and could probably even run the read option if they wanted to have more running in their system. That's what we talked about when asking, would you go to a more run-heavy system or see them going to a more run-heavy system? He talked about the fact that everybody on that team at, at the quarterback position can move. Clearly, Alabama A&M has developed a type and that's athletes at quarterback. Well, Tucker fits that mold. He does. Now, here's the thing. He's entering an already competitive three-man race for the quarterback battle. Ain't much room for him. As a freshman, especially. He's just coming on to campus. You know, he's committed, so he'll probably come on workouts. I'm not expecting him to, to win. Honestly, I'm not. I don't think that that should be expected. Now, if he comes and he wins, he's that guy. And now you got your quarterback for the next four years, probably. He's that guy if he comes in and wins. But I'm not expecting it. And honestly, being a freshman coming into a three-team or three-man race, especially with somebody like Jaron Williams, who's been around, pressuring is not the worst thing. It might be a good thing. He shouldn't be concerned at all about that. People who should be concerned is Jaron Williams, uh, Quincy Casey, Xavier Langford. They should be kind of worried because, yeah, they're competing against each other right now. But – if they don't show up and show out there next season, you could very well see yourself in a with Ashley Tucker Jr. That's the, that's what you run now. See, they all have multiple years of eligibility. I know it feels like Jaron Williams has been around forever, but he technically didn't play in 2020, and he had a red shirt season in 2018. So he should still have two years of eligibility because he only played in 2019 and 2021 or at least he was part of the uh, the team in 2021. He didn't play. So he should only have two years of eligibility left. But he's been around forever, but he still got them years. That doesn't mean anything. Everybody has multiple years. So if they don't show up and really take control of that job, then you're going to see a guy like Ashley Tucker Jr. say, well, I've sat for a year. I'm ready to come in and play. Maybe, maybe. This isn't, this isn't even a hype thing about Tucker. This is just the fact that 
that quarterback room ch- just keeps getting stacked and stacked by the day. But now let's move to the running back because I, I might be a sucker for devalued positions and running back is definitely a devalued position. When I look at it, cause I love the, the strong safeties who I refuse to call the B word B safeties. Y'all know what y'all know what the people call them. I don't do it. I try not to. It's a curse word on the show. Sometimes I'll be cursing and I say it on accident, but, <laughs> but I like strong safeties. And then I don't think you can have too many running backs because running backs get dinged up. It's a physical game. You have Donovan Eaglin coming in from Michigan, and they had arguably the best running back in college football last year. So he wasn't getting much run. He wasn't. But that means he's fresh. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's a fresh player. Man, he brings something that they don't have. That's power. Now, they have Gary Quarles, who's going to be the man. That's not a question. He might not even see much time this year, to be honest. But he could be a one-two punch. And if he's the one-two punch, it probably is because he brings power to the game something that they don't really have in there the guy's 235 he's stocky in a mug he's a big guy he can tote the rock in power situations and that's where i think he really fits in in the first year then maybe going forward he could become the man he could be the 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 main back maybe have somebody compliment him but right now he could start off as a compliment and develop into the man for the foreseeable future this is what i mean ashley tucker jr donovan eaglin that can be your quarterback running back tandem for the foreseeable future and something else for the foreseeable future that I see you doing is continuing to make locked on HBCU your first listen of the day. Every day tomorrow's episode, we're going to have Friday and we're going to pose the question that I talked about earlier in, in earlier in the week is Howard actually the best sports school in the MEAC. We're going to do a study and find out who is the best. Is it Howard, South Carolina state, somebody else? You have to wait and see on tomorrow's episode. In the meantime, though, for your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out some of the other Locked On Conference shows, ACC, SEC, Pac-12, Big 12. Make sure that you're tuned into them because they are giving great knowledge about all the P5s out there. Well, now, if you're looking for me after the mic cut off, y'all know where to check me at. That's Twitter. Using the Twitter name, at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.